0: Good afternoon. Welcome to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn CPA. I'll be your host for the next hour. I'm glad you have a chance to spend some of your afternoon with me. It's another lovely Chico afternoon. Everything's going well in the tax and accounting business so far this summer. Made it through tax season. Working on all the extensions and all the business returns. So if you ever have any questions, just look up Harold Littlejohn CPA. I'm coming up pretty high on the Google search. And uh, my number is 895-3353. I offer a free initial consultation. Might be over the phone, might be in person, depending on what we need. But I'm always happy to help. I've actually been in this business now for just about 40 years. So I've almost seen it all, but I'm sure you'll have something new for me. So today is very interesting for me because I've got a guest today that's a very entertaining, smart guy. He's been a client and a friend of mine for years and I'm going to introduce him right now. His name is Bob Cottrell. He's a former CSUC professor and we're going to talk about a lot of the things he does because he's a very prolific author with a lot of interesting topics. So, how you doing, Bob?
1: I'm doing well, Harold.
0: All right. Thanks for coming. So, let I just wanted to talk about now you've been writing for quite a while but you Recently, you've got a really interesting sounding book. So tell us about your latest book and we can kind of start from there. I think everybody's going to enjoy this.
1: Uh, it's um, the title is still in in flux. Um, it's still germinating. The title is and the monograph itself is a little bit. It was initially supposed to come out this summer, hopefully this fall, and it's kind of an encyclopedic look at the American left, at American radicalism. So it's radicalism on the left, not the right. Oh. And the largest focus is the 20th century all the way to the very present. So everything like Occupy, Wall Street, Antifa, Black Lives Matter, the Me Too movement, Um, I take it all the way to the very, very present or very near present. Um, And it it, it, there's a little bit of earlier material, but that's kind of very much of an overview.
0: Right. So are there roots to this latest left radicalism? Do you see patterns or where it started or something? I think
1: there were and have been attempts to separate this new radicalism from earlier versions or variants Um, As I look at American radicalism on the left, I think of largely five periods, to be honest with you. So we're kind of into the fifth of those cycles. Uh Uh, There was the pre-World War I left, so-called lyrical left.
0: Now, were they involved like with unions or strikes or
1: something? Yes. So the Socialist Party was the political wing of that movement the lyrical left was the Greenwich Village set rooted around the masses and other publications John Reed Max Eastman Floyd Dell Crystal Eastman and others Um, and the IWW the Industrial Workers of the World the Wobblies as its members were known Big Bill Haywood the believers in anarcho syndicalism they were workers in Marxian terms who would have made up something like a lumpen proletariat? So that would have been migrant workers, tenants, uh, miners, so those was, who were doing the the dirtiest work, the uh, the the work where
0: you know all the grit right. was really
1: demanded physically and otherwise. Now
0: you mentioned Greenwich Village. Was that like a kind of a hotbed for this? Absolutely, because it and still is, right?
1: It, well, yes and no. I mean, Greenwich, I think, is certainly changed. The last time I was in New York, I felt that was decidedly the case, but all the way back to the end of the 18th century, the beginning of the 19th century, you had iconoclastic figures, rebels, cultural rebels like uh, Thomas Paine and Edgar Allan Poe showing up there, Walt Whitman later. Uh, that, that's much, much uh, earlier than the lyrical left of the early 20th century. Um, there was another great left, uh, that first left was largely decimated by World War I, America's entrance into it. So you had re- political, cultural repression taking place on the home front.
0: Now, why, why would they be decimated? You mean they got drafted or something?
1: Uh, no. I mean, there was a conscious determination on the part of the seemingly progressive administration of Woodrow Wilson and... Progressive administrations at the state level and not so progressive administrations at that level, all the way down to municipalities along with extra legal operatives, private employees who were engaged in the use of vigilanteism in a determination to destroy the Wobblies, to gut the Socialist Party, to go after the lyrical left. There, There were mass conspiracy trials, for example, that were carried out against the Wobblies and against... The masses, so Would among this be others. like
0: big business industrialists trying yeah. to slow them down or something? Yes, maybe?
1: yes. Um, it was a period when um, not many workers were unionized, but there was this determination on the part of the Wobblies and some more radical elements within the labor force to collectivize and mm-hmm. to respond to the emergence of um, corporate capitalism. And um, there was a, a kind of a, a double, doubly um, put in place effort on the part of government operatives and business and private instrumentalities to eviscerate
0: the left in, in right. all its facets. So the American left, as you have studied and researched, it does kind of relate to the labor side of things? Is it so? Sure. Of like I mean, that? that
1: has long been a key component. Mm-hmm. I mean, for many years, even generations, I think the supposition of the American left, like that of the European left, similar to lefts globally, was that the working class was the essential component right. of radicalism. In reality, I think. On the one hand, there was that sensibility that was in place. In actuality, it was often members of the intelligentsia, it was American intellectuals who were often leading the fight, leading right. the struggle. Not always, but often. And that has been the case worldwide. You know, revolutions are not generally led by those at the very bottom. Right, uh, they may be waged on behalf of the underclass, or there's a rhetorical um, offering that that was so and that still is so. But in reality, it's often disaffected members even of the elite class, uh, members of the middle class who are well-educated, right? Um, professionals. I mean, often it's
0: um, writers, it's artists, it's intellectuals. Among others, now would that also tie in with like women's suffrage around sure. that time? Sure, sure. Um, the first great American left put
1: forth a lot of the same sub movements that made up that larger movement. So you had a women's rights effort; the suffragettes right. were part of that. Uh, you had a, a push to challenge racial restraints. Although the left was not perfect in that regard, uh, there was a determination to lift up wages for workers and to foster um, organizing efforts, as we were talking about a couple minutes ago. Uh, There was a challenge to um, what were perceived to be warmongers, merchants of death, as they were called, those who were. Willing to use and uh, determined to employ the working class on behalf of its own interest. Um, so there's pacifistic, there's socialistic, there's anarchistic, there's feminist wow. um, facets involved right. in the movements. There's a there's uh, an early kind of free love engagement. No,
0: oh, like the, so, hip, the hippies? Yeah, of the old I days? mean,
1: but it's it's well before the hippies. And right. again, Greenwich was right. one of the, wow. you know, um, geographical touchstones, cornerstones.
0: It, it's interesting that time frame also had the prohibition started. Around it did. The, then it did. And it also had the income tax and the Federal Reserve. Right. So. And
1: that's the period in, in the same fashion that Wilson was a progressive. It's the period of the progressive movement, which was an effort largely driven by middle class actors, operatives, to ameliorate to address the worst aspects of industrial right, like,
0: capitalism. Like the income differential between the rich and the poor.
1: Terrible maldistribution of right. wealth, income and power. And so the income... mass exploitation of land resources and human beings.
0: Right. And the income tax was probably thought to help towards that. Yes. As because, an equalizer. Because
1: it, had a progressivity built into it, meaning that as small as the rate levels were, I think initially 1% yeah. to 6%. One
0: to, but they were still higher for the higher exactly, income. Right. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So like the idea was have.
1: the more money you made, the higher percentage you paid at.
0: Right. right. So that's all part of the whole progressive left, you call it? Or well,
1: right? it's the progressive movement, and the progressive movement you know, it veered for from figures like Teddy Roosevelt, who, in some ways, was really rooted more a little bit right of center, depending on what particular issue. Certainly, in foreign policy matters, right to individuals like Bob Lafollette, fighting Bob. The I've heard
0: the name. Yeah.
1: Long time. Did he
0: run against people and Senator
1: lose? and yeah. and governor from Wisconsin, who did run as a presidential candidate. Uh, is he the one sought, who... the, sought the presidency in 1912 and then again as a progressive party candidate
0: in 1924? Is he the one that got screwed up by Teddy going bull moose party? Somebody got Yeah, to some extent, up. I yeah. think. But yeah. by
1: then, uh, his uh, third party effort, fourth party effort, uh, and certainly his effort within the Republican ranks was already dissipated. So he would
0: be considered a kind of a leftist progressive. He was
1: on the left side of the progressive movement, right. yes. And then further left of him would, would have been individuals like the anarchist Emma Goldman, Alexander Berkman, um, socialists like Eugene Debs, a believer in melding together democracy and socialism. Right. And and then the cultural radicals, now, the I was, Reeds, the Randolph-Borns, and others.
0: I was curious, are you aware of, I don't know the exact quote, but are you aware of a quote Woodrow Wilson made, like on his deathbed, where he regretted what he had done with like World War One and stuff. Um, Have you heard of that? Or that may be apocryphal. I don't know. Yeah, it's just something I remember. Yeah. I remember him saying, "I'm not sure I did the right thing." Meaning all of those crazy things, like he felt guilty. I think regarding like World War One and uh, you know, death. I and I, stuff. I would find that hard to believe. Yeah, I I'm not sure. He I just...
1: he was imbued with the sense of his own self righteousness. And he
0: was a Princeton University president was or dean or something what became
1: Princeton University right. he was a faculty member he was a professor and he became president of the college yes he had been the president at uh, excuse me He had been a professor at uh, the all-women's college Bryn Mawr outside oh. of Philadelphia earlier wow which is intriguing to me because my daughter went
0: right <laughs> <laughs> so I had to throw that in all right <laughs> So uh, now that book is in the process of being published this summer. Is that what you're saying?
1: Well, it's still, as I put it, germinating. Oh, you're not finished. No, I'm pretty much finished. And I've been finished for some time, although I I still keep tweaking it as things are happening. Right. Out in the hustings. Uh, But I'm waiting, um, I guess, word from my, my editor. Oh, okay when it's lined up at the runway okay
0: yeah what do you see as the current radical left what's your what's your take on what's going on
1: it's pretty fascinating I mean there are some similarities you know if regarding issues women's rights a determination for personal empowerment personal liberation concerns about corporate wealth Fears about maldistribution, and deserve fears at that, maldistribution of wealth, income, and power. Um, grave concerns about America's role in global affairs. Right. So lots of similarity, similarities are in place. Um, I ticked off earlier a few of the, the movements that have arisen in the last, oh, I don't know, six, eight years. Right. And, they still keep cropping up all the time. Right. And as they do, I just keep working on my manuscript just a little bit more. Right.
0: <laughs> I know that making Oc- it as timely as possible. <laughs> like that Occupy thing, that was getting headlines yes. quite a bit. What about four or five years ago it was?
1: I it think? was more almost a decade ago Hasn't now. Yeah, ago. yeah.
0: I know that the whole income inequality thing I think has gotten worse lately. We're coming up on that first break. Stay tuned. we got a lot more good information coming. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. We'll be right back.
2: Hey, guys. Ken here from Income Store. Did you know of the top 10 reasons an employee stays at a company for more than two years? The seventh reason is the pay or the salary. The first six reasons have nothing to do with money. Things like they feel part of a team. They know they belong, their voice is heard, they're respected. Also, employees go through five phases within a couple days to six months of any new position. Excitement, education, reality, doubt, then clarity. Did you know it's a manager's job to walk them to clarity as fast as possible? If you need to know these fundamental principles, fundamental? Did I just say that? I'm going to leave that in. If you need to know these fundamental principles, I can't say this. (laughs) This is awesome. This is like a blooper roll. Hey, you know what? If you need tips and techniques like this to grow your business today, you got to check out door number one of Income Store. If you just need somebody to literally hold your hand and get you to the finish line, check out door number two of IncomeStore.com. That's IncomeStore.com.
0: What's in store for Jerusalem during the tribulation? Here's David Hawking with some insight.
1: Is it possible that Jerusalem will become a religious and political center of the world under the leadership of the Antichrist? Absolutely, it is possible.
0: More about the connection between the Antichrist and Jerusalem this week on Hope for Today. Tune in for Hope for Today
2: weekdays at 8 a.m. here on KKXX.
0: Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'm here with Bob Cottrell. I wanted to talk a little bit about your career at Chico State. Uh, You were a professor for quite a while since I've known you and that's been a decent amount of time. So when did you start at Chico? How did that all evolve? Uh,
1: 1984 in the fall, 35 years ago, Wow! so I've been a professor of history and American studies Uh, Throughout that three-and-a-half-decade span of time, I taught 30, 35 different courses. Some of them were iterations of the same course. Was it a
0: lot of U.S. history or world? Um,
1: Mostly U.S., but I also taught world history. I actually taught in the beginning a couple uh, of—actually, a a number of courses on Latin American history. Um, I filled in for a colleague— who was ill at one point and took over his Asian history courses. Um, I did a class for a quarter of a century on the Vietnam War. Um, So my approach
0: was fairly sweeping. Was that like an analysis of the Vietnam War or just the history of it? It was both. It was
1: both. And um, I tried to present things in a very nuanced manner and,
0: Like both sides. Well, I don't know if you would say both sides. It's a divisive war.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, on on evaluations, I would often have students indicate that they didn't have a clue what my own personal beliefs were.
2: Which probably good. Which was fine.
1: Which was fine. I mean, there's some things I think that um, one has to indicate if one has a moral compass. If you're talking about the Holocaust, if you're talking about slavery, I don't know how you can avoid.
0: Right, having feelings. Right. Right.
1: Right. And it's not like I didn't have very strong feelings about the Vietnam War, but given the fact that, especially when I first started teaching it, because I created the course at Chico State, um, I was concerned about students who had loved ones who had been in the war. Mm -hmm maybe hadn't returned from the war. I had a number of vets the first several years who took the course, and they were great. Yeah. 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 I had uh, ROTC cadets taking the course. Uh, Chico State used to have an ROTC program, and then it was pushed out, which I actually thought was unfortunate because I thought those uh, young people were getting exposure to different ideas. Right.
0: Well, a couple things that come to mind for me on the Vietnam War. My brother was just old enough to be part of the final draft pick, right? And he luckily didn't get a he got a good number and he didn't get drafted. Right. But my mom when we were little would was constantly saying if they pick you, we're going to Canada. That was our that was our household. That she wasn't was, going to let us go.
1: That was one uh determination certainly of thousands of families.
0: Yeah. And
1: there were those who went underground. There were those who went to prison. Um, there were those who just slipped through the cracks. Right. Later in the war, uh, late in the war, places like Oakland, um, good portions of the draft were, were in some ways impossible to, to enforce right. because the refusal rate or the failure to show up rate reach 25% or
0: worse. Well, when I worked for my dad in Oakland, which would have been uh, after I graduated in the early 80s, one man I ran into was about 10 years older than me. And we Mm -hmm. were talking and he grew up in a kind of a rough Oakland neighborhood. And he was saying, yeah, everybody got drafted from that zip code. It was like, was, I, th- I believe it was quite a minority neighborhood. Was he African-American? No, he was a white guy. He was a white but guy. But he was saying his whole neighborhood got drafted. Yeah. Well, he was indicating it was a little bit racist, but I don't Well,
1: there, there was that in play for the first part of the war uh, or the extended period of what was known as America's War, the American War. And by that I mean from 1965 when the first draftees went to Vietnam, until '67 into '68, the the rate of minority participation in the war, particularly in combat units, right, was was quite high. Right. And with pressure brought to bear, that was reduced. That rate was reduced to kind of the general like rate, more
0: like a population right, rate. Right. Right. Yeah, like it probably should be. Yeah,
1: yeah, on a more equitable basis. But the first two or three years of the war, not at all. So it was not just uh, the combatants, but obviously those who came back in body bags.
0: Right, right. So. Yeah. Well that, now, you've been a prolific author ever since I've known you. You've probably had quite a few books published over the years. I don't know how many. But have you ever put your toes in the water for fiction writing? Or have you always been um, for history? I, I, I've thought about uh,
1: writing a novel, and I've been plotting one or hoping to write one from the time I was at least 19. No. I just have opted for the nonfiction route. I still have aspirations along those lines. Would it be uh, maybe a- I'll come back and talk to you when I get deeper into that.
0: Would it be <laughs> historical fiction? Would you Probably set it somewhere? Probably,
1: in, in some ways. You have I don't idea. want to give too much all away. All right, I, I won't ask for any <laughs> secrets of where you want to set that.
0: I always thought that would be interesting. <laughs> now, you also have a love for, I'm not sure if you're a all-around sports nut, but you love Pretty baseball. Pretty much. You like them all? Well, yeah. You like basketball? Sure. Did you like? I Washington like it better when the did Warriors you, are winning. I was going to say, did you enjoy that <laughs> game last night? Did you get a chance? I followed it on the computer more than on television. It was interesting. I I just want to keep it going so I can watch more games. They might not win every year, but that's okay. So, how did you get this love of baseball? Did you grow up? I played baseball when
1: I was younger. And, you know, I played sports year round. I grew up in San Antonio. Mm -hmm. So, the weather was um, both good and bad for that. I mean, it was often hot and humid, but one could go out and play baseball almost year-round and mm-hmm. football. There were basketball courts. I played tennis. I golfed, swam during the summer especially. Did you do high school sports? Were
0: you a little bit, yeah. yeah. So the, did baseball catch up with you when you became a writer and you were, I mean, I know you've written about baseball a decent amount. What um, do you find fascinating about it?
1: It was my first love, you know, my first love of sports. was it the
0: people you're interested in? Yeah,
1: I mean, I think I had heroes. Um, I identified with some of the players, and um, I had different favorites, favorite players, and favorite teams over the years because San Antonio didn't have a major league team. It had a minor league team, and I only got to one minor league game while I was there as a, as a, uh, as a boy. Um, but baseball was the national pastime when I was growing up in the fifties and the 1960s. So it was pretty natural that I was drawn to it. I mean, I, I, I watched a lot of, you know, football, basketball, I watched the Olympics. Um, I remember television being a factor. I watched the, um, the 1958 championship game between the Colts and the Giants, the overtime game. Oh, wow. Johnny Unitas oh, yeah. and the Colts won 23 to 17 in overtime. Alan Amici scored from the one yard line. <laughs> and, and then that next summer, my favorite team, the Braves, competed with the Dodgers for the National League pennant, lost out in the playoffs. And my favorite player was on the Braves at the time, uh, third baseman Eddie Matthews, who was oh. the home run champion.
0: Oh, was he a, before Hank Aaron? He was the uh, They played guy?
1: together. He was there with the Braves a little bit earlier.
0: Was he ahead of Aaron at the time He was point? initially. He was a little older then.
1: He was a little bit older, and he didn't stay in the same kind of uh, condition that Aaron
0: did. Now, I, it, I, I
1: think Matthews was like Mickey Mantle. I think they were both very hard-living. Now, was, Hard he, drinking. Uh, was he an
0: African-American? No. Oh, no. no. no okay. No. One thing I've noticed in baseball lately is I watch some, and I enjoy watching it. I don't follow it too close. I've heard people talk about this, too. The African-Americans are not represented that much in no. Major League Baseball no, anymore? not, a, not a lo- at all. There's a lot all. of Dominicans and yes. Latin types. Yes. yes, And then there's the regular Yes. Ameri- I know.
1: mean, the percentage of, of – um, Major leaguers from the Dominican Republic alone is, is kind of startling, right? And uh, the ranks of major league ball uh, uh, teams um, really jumped the, uh, the number of African Americans from Jackie oh, yeah. through the '60s, right? And then it began
0: to level off, and it is just plummeting right. markedly. We'll be right back on Business Buzz. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
2: A dinosaur in a mammal's stomach?
0: This is Ken Ham, and our popular Ark Encounter attraction is located in northern Kentucky. Evolutionists have long believed that only small plant-eating mammals existed during the so-called age of the dinosaurs. But the discovery of a mammal with a small dinosaur in his stomach upended that story. Evolutionists consistently find fossils that overturn their story, but they never question the story.
1: They just change it to match the new evidence. Now, this isn't really science. It's just
0: elaborate storytelling. Evolutionists will continue to revise their timeline and try to explain away the fossil record. You see, they've simply got the wrong foundation. Life didn't evolve, and fossils are remnants of the flood, not long ages.
2: Subscribe to receive Ken Ham's insights by email when you go to AnswersRadio.com and listen to this program again or view a complete transcript at AnswersRadio.com. This is you over 30 years ago. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And this is your mom now. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Roles change without us noticing. That's why AARP gives you the information to provide even better care for your loved one. Visit aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council.
0: Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn CPA. I'm here with a history expert Bob Cottrell. He's an author. He has a lot of different topics and we're just going to we're going to find out what makes his history brain tick a little bit. So, my favorite part of American history was always the Revolutionary War. What do you think of that? What's your opinion? Um About that being your favorite period. Do you you enjoy (laughs) learning about those guys? Yeah, I mean,
1: Chico State has a fairly unique approach to teaching U.S. history. The survey. And that is faculty there at Chico State offer all of U.S. history in one fell swoop.
0: So at any one time you can get no, it all? I mean,
1: the, the one semester you get pre-colonial history all the way to the present if the professor or the instructor chooses to offer oh. that
0: sweeping an approach. And that can't go too deep because that's one semester well, for all that stuff.
1: I, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel, you know, I taught that course for 35 <laughs> years, and I, I felt I got into – a good bit of depth, and Was that I mean, I I emphasized intellectual history and uh, trends and mm-hmm.
0: tendencies, right. not just dates and numbers yeah. and names. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, would that be the one that everybody would take? Kind of like a mm-hmm. general ed history kind of thing?
1: Yeah, it's a statutory requirement. Right. So, if you're going to get a degree from Chico State, you have to have either taken the course at Chico State, or you have to have um, test it out,
0: right, or an equivalent from a right. transfer, or whatever.
1: Well, exactly, yeah. like at the JC community college level.
0: I'm trying to remember the history that I did have. For my <laughs> uh, I think it was a, I did one year at Cal State Hayward before I came oh, to Chico, uh-huh. and, and I think it was one of those like a Vietnam era thing, but maybe that could qualified. have been different. Yeah, could have been uh, different, sure. Yeah. But yeah, I always I was always interested in. I had like heroes when I was a kid. About like Thomas Jefferson and Declaration of Independence, and then I saw that movie Seventeen Seventy Six on an airplane one time, Uh and uh, I just I have something about those guys. Whether it's true or not, I like their stories. They sound like good guys, but then you hear these, you know, then you get these reports updated about Jefferson and his slaves, and it's it's always the double standard. Well, I mean, there's always bad things too. You learn
1: they were complex individuals, as all human beings are. Um, they were subscribers to Jeffersonian precepts that are embedded in the Declaration of Independence. The foremost of those, the right, the duty to revolt against tyrannical authority, and the ideal of egalitarianism. All men are created equal. Right. And that didn't mean they... um, They
0: shared all their income. Ra-
1: right. Or that they didn't partake of slavery. Right. If you look at the members of the Virginia dynasty, right. a number of our early presidents mm-hmm. for them, and they were all slaveholders. Right. So they were Jeffersonians, Washingtonians, but they were also um, men of their era with all the faults and foibles of.
0: So. And that's another thing, the early presidents I used to kind of, read about him quite a bit and what strikes me as interesting is trump has a picture of andrew jackson in the white house and he was the anti-banker guy right and he was like the first populist he was the first regular guy president the other ones were all massachusetts and virginia yes yeah. yes so the he adams was, family right <laughs> <laughs> and <yeah>. the virginia <laughs> right. dynasty so jackson really was sort of a he was a war hero, too. So. He was a war hero. So he was kind of like the regular guy's guy. Well,
1: he was he was viewed as the man of the frontier. Um, he was a, um, a rather remarkable common man, but he was seen as the symbol of the age of the common, the era of the common man. And he was the individual who is associated with the furtherance of American democracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was very limited democracy.
0: Uh, didn't he change the voting rules? So well, that non, he didn't personally. I mean, he was supervisor. or well, he, was, he was there. He at was the, the time.
1: beneficiary of those changes, and he was um, associated with those transformations right. that were taking because
0: place. Because prior to that era, the eighteen twenties or thirties, was it true that? Voting actually was only for landowners. Well,
1: Is that it, it depended on where you lived.
0: Which state? That was still state. It also decided. depended
1: on what your residence was. Literally within a state, so that could alter voting, oh, like voting restrictions, regulations. Sure. Oh, okay. Sure. Um, so you know, you had a, a smattering of African Americans voting. You had a smattering of women voting, but it was a smattering only. Right. And for the most part, yes, it was white property holders. That began to change as you move from, you know, one presidential period to another. Right. And you you also had a change in intellectual discourse and cultural unfolding. So the Jeffersonian period, circa 1800, that was an age of deference. That's the way when I was teaching that course, the, the survey class, that's how I would put that. And you get to the uh, Jacksonian period, and you're talking about the age of egalitarianism. Right. But it's very, very incomplete equality. Right. I right. mean, it's it's still incomplete today.
0: Right. But the fact that a frontier guy won, it opened up more guys from other a states. supposed probably. frontier
1: man. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, he wasn't formally educated. Right. You know, as his predecessors had been. He was much more rough-hewn. Um, he seemed to be more a man of quote the people." Right, and so Didn't they forth. have a big
0: drunken party on his inauguration. Is that a? Is that true? You think or? Is uh, that...
1: supposedly. I yeah. mean, certainly, it's the period with Martin Van Buren, who would uh, follow right uh, Johnson in the White House. Right? He would. Um, he served as his campaign orchestrator. And um, and I I think he should be credited or blamed for this democratization of the voting process that took place. More polling stations, easier access to vote, and so forth.
0: So Van Buren had something to do with that? Had a good deal to do with it.
1: But the whole spirit of that era, you know, the Jacksonian temper is uh, what we ascribe to. Right the changes that were taking
0: place. Well, plus that's why, the,
1: why Trump has Jackson um, prominently displayed in the white house beats me. Well, the the, I mean, maybe the, he likes the fact that
0: the, the well, theory I mean, I've read is that he's might be starting to try to do something to change the federal reserve system. That's a theory. Um, I yeah. don't know. Cause Jackson had the big fight with the central bank and all that. Yeah. Now that time period of the 1830s, that also coincides with the whole opening of the, Country and the eminent it, it, eminent domain and all that um, idea. It started manif- manifest destiny. Yeah, you're like about. steamboats and
1: yeah, to some you know, extent. I mean, Geary the Canal. the transportation revolution right. was proceeding apace throughout that era. Um, expansionism was being fostered. New states were being added to the mix. Um, all of that was taking place simultaneously. And the nation was kind of um, rubbing at the at the edges at the same time because you had all these seeds being planted for disunion. Right, and you foremost had, of, obviously um, centered on slavery.
0: Right, and then you also had all the immigration during that time, you did. right? Of the Irish and the Germans, and, and you had
1: very mixed attitudes. Boy, this doesn't sound surprising, does it? Very mixed attitudes towards immigrants. Right. Uh, On the one one hand, business operators, entrepreneurs very much welcomed the new immigrants. Many of them were Irish. A lot of cheap cheap labor. Cheap labor. Right. Um, On the other hand, there is a determination to restrict immigration. There's nativism, and that nativism was anti-immigrant, anti-Catholic, because many of the immigrants were Catholic. Right, right.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that, um and then the gold rush, sure. that was mid-1800s, so that sure. changed everything with the Mexico still owned California, right? Didn't we yes. have to take it away from them? Uh, that is certainly one way the, to put it. The Bear Flag Republic <laughs> yeah, or whatever?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um The uh, Mexican-American War, which resulted in the Treaty of guadalupe Hidalgo, 1848, followed five years later by the Gadsden Purchase, and you had... These large, great swaths of territory being ripped away from Mexico, right. making up all or parts of some seven present states of the United like States. Like Arizona,
0: New Mexico. Yeah. It all
1: it also uh, cemented the incorporation of Texas, which had been added. Texas was an independent republic
0: for a number of and years. And they still would like to be that, right? Well, you grew well, up there, so... I mean... <laughs>
1: I'm sitting here with a T-shirt that says Texas on it. So.
0: <laughs> but you, Texas does have that spirit. You grew up there. I've, I've visited there.
1: Yeah. Th- it's, it's Less a, so these this days. This Texas is not my, the Texas I grew up. Oh, okay. <laughs> the Texas I grew up in was much more um, politically progressive, much so- more democratic. What's more it, liberal. What's it
0: like now? Are they more You mean being I, you more know, conservative? It's, it's
1: bifurcated. It's, yeah, because you have Austin that's like yes. a little Chico. Well, it's not right? just Austin. It's, you know, oh, Austin's like a, a mega Chico. A mega Chico's Chico. like a little tiny Austin. Oh, okay, I've never been to Austin. Austin uh, was like Chico um, two times over way back in the 60s. Oh,
0: okay. So you're talking about a population
1: of 200,000 with 50,000 students. Okay,
0: and I forgot it's also the capital of the the state. It's the capital
1: of the state. Now you're talking about a population right at a million and with the outlying areas much larger than that. Okay.
0: And that's more of the progressive side of Texas, right? But
1: the cities, the big cities, are all democratic now. Okay. The rural areas have flipped and become decidedly conservative. Right. Yeah.
0: But the population's probably leaning.
1: It's tilting very much in a democratic direction. Part of the problem for Democrats is the turnout, right? So like Latinos who who are disproportionately democratic in, in Texas, they don't turn out in the same numbers they do, say, in California.
0: Right. We're coming up on that final break. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. We'll be right back.
2: I'm Scott Allred. I'm Ventaney, And I'm Matt Four. This is Jessica Wilkerson, one of your hosts of Chico Now. A half hour designed for the community and brought to you by the community. Each day, one of our hosts will join with people from organizations throughout the greater Chico area. We want to let you know what's happening in Chico Now. So join us at 1230, Monday through Friday, here on KKXX for Chico Now. The rest of my life so hard. I'm Little Teapot Short.
3: Adopt US Kiss presents multiple choice parenting.
2: You've messed up your daughter's haircut. Do you a it's spiritual? Mom, where's the mirror? Beauty is within.
0: Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn CPA. We got our last segment today. I'm glad you had time to spend with us here. It's uh, another beautiful Chico day. And my guest Bob Cottrell, he's done a lot of writing. He's as we know he's had 35 years. He's now fully retired. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Reluctantly I <Right>? say that.
1: <laughs> a little bit anyway.
0: And I wanted to find out about some of your other Books, I mean, kind of recent, or recent ones? Uh, sure. I mean, what are your topics been lately? Uh, we talked about baseball um, and radicalism. Right. What else have you been interested in?
1: Um, My last two published books came out in um, the first one in 2015 and the the other one came out um, last year. Um, also dealt with radicalism to, to a large extent. The first one was on the American counterculture, oh, and it again was pretty encyclopedic, going way back when, all the way, you know, through the hippies uh-huh. in the 1960s and the early 70s, and then a little bit of a postscript. And the um, the other book, which just came out last summer, is titled 1968, and it's about that. That Epical terrible year, year with that, the, the assassinations yes, and all that. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, I, I co-wrote that with a, a friend of mine, and we write about the yippies and the resistance, the draft resistance and the ultra resistance, and we write about um, the Tet Offensive and the horrible slangs of MLK Jr. and Bobby Kennedy. and. Right. We talk about Prague Spring and its um, destruction by the Warsaw Pact and the Soviet Union, um, Chicago, and what transpired at the Democratic National Convention in the streets. Abby Hoffman. Abby Hoffman, Hoffman, Jerry Rubin, and the like. Uh, We talk about the um, Mexico City Olympics, the Black Power salute by Tommy Smith and John Carlos. We talk about San Francisco State, where the large, longest student strike in American history began in the in the fall of 1968, oh, wow. went on until the uh, beginning of 1969, uh, into the spring. Um, we talk about a year that began with the hope for wholesale change, ended with the election of Richard, Richard Nixon, Nixon right. <laughs> the politics of resentment prevailing over the call for revolution right and so instead of a revolution it's sort of like a counter revolution yeah
0: i remember my mom voting for nixon in 72 because he promised to end the war well um it did kind of end but about 70 yeah, yeah yeah
1: yeah my my mother was a mcgovern democrat so I can't relate to you on that in that sense, Harold. All my
0: mom cared about was that my brother and me oh, didn't get drafted. Yeah. That, that's all that mattered.
1: Well, she sounded like a good mom, yeah. Yeah. concerned about her sons' now,
0: well-being. So your books are available, like on Amazon and mm-hmm. things like that. Sure. And how do you spell your last name? I think I know, but I don't want to get it wrong. C
1: o t t r e l l. And you, and you by... pronounced it correctly, Cottrell, ah, okay, not Cottrell like. Ninety nine percent of people, and it, it
0: probably shows up as Robert Cottrell in yeah. your in your Amazon and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Robert, Robert, Charles, Robert C. Right. So, and I guess I just got to ask: When did you? I think I don't know if I mentioned this with you off the air or on the air, but when did you first decide you were going to be a writer? Was this like when you were a child? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not sure
1: precisely when I think I was 12 and I wrote a couple of novellas. You were asking about right, novels. Fiction, well, right. maybe I did write yeah, a couple of them. <laughs> but I didn't keep them. So, right. unfortunately, I have no idea what I wrote about. You don't remember
0: the general plot? No,
1: no. Um, and from that point forth, i that's really what I wanted to be. I also wanted security. So... From the I, academic world I, sounded good. I opted for the academic route. Now, and where did
0: you do your bachelor's degree? In Austin. In Austin? Yeah. Is that University of Texas? Yes,
1: at the University of Texas. I was just there, in fact. Um, I had a nephew who graduated this spring. Oh. And so we went back to uh, campus. A number of fam- family members are UT graduates. And we went all over the school Went to the LBJ Library. I did a um, an hour long interview like this one for Rag Radio, which is the um,
0: Campus the up to date
1: okay. version of the underground publication, The Rag from oh, the okay. from the sixties.
0: And then after so, your bachelor's, there, where did you go to grad school? I, I
1: went to uh, Oklahoma. I actually went to Santa Barbara initially, and then for familial reasons, <laughs> I transferred.
0: So you ended up with your PhD in yes. Oklahoma, yeah. University of Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you probably enjoyed some football there, if you were a sports. Um, fan.
1: I mean, I, 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 didn't go to any of the games. Oh, okay. I had gone to some of the UT games when I was younger. Okay, but as a grad student, I was, you don't
0: have that much
3: free time no, anyway. When
1: I had like three jobs and right, um, personal relationship right. to deal with, and um, and I was studying for exams when prepping for my doctoral exams i went through like a thousand books and wow
0: so, so were you writing during college or was it just as a I, hobby when you did?
1: i was um i published a bit when i was a graduate student so i actually had some publications before i came out here and I, then i taught for a year full time and um, was Chico State your first teaching position? No, I had quite a bit of teaching experience. Oh, okay. I had taught at a community college as an adjunct. You know, professor. Y- yes. Oh, OK. And at the university. And I taught at the Army base, a graduate course in the history of education. Um, and then I came out here. I probably had the equivalent five, six years full time teaching before I came here.
0: So with you being 35 years at Chico State professor, can you kind of say what, how good of a school Chico State is? Because I got my degree here. I mean, (laughs) is it, is it, is it pretty understood that it's a quality degree? Yeah. I mean, mean,
1: I think, I, I think it certainly is. I think my department is an excellent department. Um, I have a daughter who studied back East and overseas and she's presently completing a master's here and she will go on to I was get say, a PhD elsewhere because Chico, we don't have a doctoral program. I was going to say,
0: but Chico does offer master's a master's in his interest, interest. Which
1: is which is really quite good. Oh, now, did I you mean, teach
0: the master's oh, courses yeah. also? Oh, yeah. You would I'm, teach them all, right? Sure. I mean, you would do master's and bachelor's courses. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: And in, in fact, I was fortunate enough the last three years or three of the last four years to be able to offer a grad class. and. I offered a course on uh, historiography a couple times during that period, and I offered a course on um, a readings course on U.S. history from 1877 to the present. So, as a But prof- it's an excellent faculty.
0: As a, as a professor, because I've never been a professor, uh, well, I teach tax class at the law school, but that's not as interesting as this. You actually get to pro- propose courses and then a yes. the chair, and then you have a meeting and... Do people vote um, on it? I mean, if you yeah, think I mean, something... it has to go through right various committees. Right. Do they ever turn you down? Um, I mean, other than for time constraints, did they ever say no? We don't want that subject.
1: Not that I can recall. Okay, no. There, I offered any... a, a whole array of different courses. I mean, i I offered a course on uh, baseball and American culture and. On radicalism, on the nineteen
0: sixties, as I said right. before, on Vietnam. Um, Is there any unusual courses right now guys are teaching over there? Is there anything strange? Oh, anything? I'm
1: sure, but I'm kind of out of the That's loop. That's right, you're I out of the loop. Right I did a, I, I created a course in American popular culture. Oh yeah. Taught that for about twenty something years, and oh. That's it was fun. Awesome. I mean, it, it's 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 a great gig. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's. Some of us I think a lot of the faculty members are um, consummate professionals are really dedicated to what they do right to their to their craft to the art of teaching to the students right to the community yeah because for for faculty the community is it's not just chico state it's it's larger it's statewide it's national it's even international i i I went on a number of uh Trips abroad and
0: right. in that capacity. Right. So. so, if you were to design a new course right now, do you have any ideas? If someone's <laughs> listening, if someone is listening out there, that works uh, maybe there? I'd do
1: it on on this latest uh, unfolding with um, this fifth version of an American left wing movement in quotes. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. Maybe
1: I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and what do you what do you what's your what's your feeling on that fifth movement? What's what's happening? It's still, is it just beginning?
1: Yeah, well, it's been beginning. I mean, I I date it back probably to the the fight against the World Trade Organization, Seattle, 1999. Okay. So, I think we're into about the 20th year.
3: It's,
0: okay. Um is it sort of anti globalization? Yeah, anti
1: Yeah, but I think it's also pro-humanity. And I think there's been a real determination, which is not always held constantly to, I'll admit that, but there's been a real determination to adhere to democratic precepts, which hasn't always been the case for the left.
0: Now, what's... Do you follow at all the, the European problems with the yellow vest sure. and all that? Yeah. Do you see that as being related to this or is that? I don't see the yellow vest being related that? Aren't much. they more like the truck drivers? To some extent.
1: To some extent. I mean, I, there's there's movements that have taken place in Greece and Spain. Right. Uh, that are more closely linked. And and uh, I, I there's these. These threads or ties between American leftists and young people elsewhere. Right.
0: But it almost seems like in Europe those movements are almost right-wing. I mean, um, they don't there seem are, real leftist.
1: Well, there's a number of left-of-center movements. I mean, the, the latest um, elections for the European Union resulted in a smackdown of the conventional parties, both right of center and just left of center. But uh, those further to the right did well, but not as well as had been feared. And those on the left did pretty well.
3: Oh,
0: okay.
1: So it's it's more complicated. Yeah,
0: and they have a different system over there where they have to work together like – there's five parties, and they have to Or have there can be ten stuff. parties. Yeah. I mean, and like like in Israel, I mean, you know. Yeah, I can't figure. I've never learned much about European politics. Yeah, it's, it can so be it's very always confusing. And then people come up for votes of confidence, and they're gone? Like Theresa May's leaving, I think? Well, I
1: think she's leaving before being pushed out. Right. But I mean, so people she wasn't
0: really voted out, but she's been kind of pushed I think she's out. been criticized. Now, as far as you know, this whole Brexit thing, It seems to me that vote was sort of a populist right wing vote. I mean, would you? Um, I don't
1: know how populist it really is. I mean, I guess it's populism. It was what,
0: 51? It wasn't more than 51?
1: It's populism, but it's also populism of a pretty nefarious sort, fueled in part by Russian entanglements. So there's some similarities to what has taken place here and what is occurring there. What France, for some reason, was able to stave off. We have not been
0: able to. Britain was not able to. Now, didn't Macron have a defeat or something? Is there a new? No, nah, he's
1: actually doing.
0: He's still he's, in office. Yeah, he's. But he's, his party lost some seats. Yeah, or something. not
1: terrible. Not that bad. No, no, okay. no. Yeah, he's he's doing okay. Yeah, he's he's it's Macron.
0: It, yeah, it, it's interesting that. You know, European politics is just something I'm. I'm not even that familiar. I just read now and then. And, yeah, it's you know.
1: complex. I mean, I get a number of publications, including the Guardian, and mm-hmm. and it keeps me abreast to some extent. I'll right. admittedly right. And um, and I, you know, I it also it the New York Times, other publications um, keep me in the loop about global developments, right. but. I'm not going to pretend that I'm versed in well, yeah. everything that's well, going on. Unless you're
0: not working in the history department anymore, so well, you don't need to even know this stuff.
1: Well, I do for my own sanity. That's good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Bob. I appreciate you being okay, here. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. All right. And I'm sure the listeners enjoyed that. Go look at some of his books on Amazon. They're going to be fascinating. I will see you next time on Business Buzz. Take care.
2: KKXX, Paradise, K280GL, Chico, and K283AR. This hour from townhall.com, I'm Keith Peters. The commanding general of the United States Air Force's Central Command is condemning the shooting down of a U.S. military drone by Iran. Lieutenant General Joseph Guastella says Thursday's attack was uncalled for. This was an unprovoked attack on a U.S. surveillance asset that had not violated Iranian airspace at any time during its mission. Lieutenant General Guastella also says Iran had a clear motive in shooting down the drone.
0: This attack is an attempt to disrupt our ability
1: to monitor the area following recent threats to international shipping and the